0: Hey there, human beings! Um, I hope there's uh, people coming for this first uh, GhettoCast episode. So it's the first live episode of my uh, wannabe podcast. Um, I announced it last year. Uh, then I published a few uh, episodes that were available for patrons only, and so I decided to go live because I, I think it's just um, easier, and uh, I don't have to waste too much time mounting. And it's it's also nice to have some interaction. So uh, thanks for joining me in this uh, discussion. I'm sorry you might be used to some kind of um, not so serious topics uh, that I usually deal with Nanoware of Steel. Uh, You might not be interested in a topic as well, like everyone is talking about COVID nowadays. But uh, I really think it's a very important topic, of course, because it's affecting everyone's lives. But I, I also think that um, I sort of have the, um, you know, not really the duty, but have the need to share some ideas I have on the topic that might not align with what we hear, usually on the media. And so I think it's, um, it's something it's something I really wanted to to talk, and uh, I hope there would be interaction with the public during this first uh, live episode. So if you have questions or objections, or any kind of um you know any kinds um of thing you want to ask me I'll be open for uh, discussion so again why this topic Uh, I'm a musician I'm not just a musician as as many of you may know um so I'm also an astrophysicist so I have a, a quantitative training um I have a quantitative background so to say um and I really think that uh, in the last month, so the way the data has been presented to the public uh, was um, like the data that supports some kind of policies in, uh, in light of the of the epidemics that is um, of the pandemics that is uh, affecting the world right now. There's a, there have been, um, to say the least, like a, a very um, inappropriate handling of the data. Let's put it that way. And as a music- musicians, I was saying, then um, we have been affected the most. So we have been really paying a high price for this, like with show closures and um, festivals being cancelled, and you know, entire careers tours being cancelled and thrown to the trash bin. So it's not really, um, it's not really an exciting time. I also feel, I mean, at the beginning, of course, uh, we were sort of. Ev- ev- we had the feeling that we were in this together. It's an, something completely unexpected. It was—it's com- completely dangerous. Um, we didn't know what to do, and so we sort of followed the guidelines. We trusted everything that was being told us, and I mean, I was—I uh, would talk about this, but I—I uh, I seriously didn't doubt about uh, the way the problem was uh, presented. And uh, now we are still—you know—we are still here. We started this—you uh, know—that the whole thing started. Let's like. Uh, let's close everything for two weeks then it became one month then two months then we reopened then we are back at square one so after uh, october we are back to the um, where we were more or less i mean with with differences of course um but um so we are back to where we were at the at the, <laughs> in march basically so One thing that uh, strikes me the most uh, is that uh, usually the way that this problem is being handled at large, uh, it uh, involves a lot of logical fallacies in the sense that uh, there are different issues at stake here. So one issue is the mortality of the virus. So I'm not an expert on biology. I don't know much about this. I will refrain from talking about this at this stage, but... um, it's something that is it's, it's important to know. But maybe, I mean, I'm planning to do some discussions on this with, uh, with actual experts, so with uh, actual medical doctors and uh, people that work in the field of medicine and biology. The other issue is how it spreads. So one we know is this, this dangerous or not is one question. How does this spread It's another question. So it can be very dangerous and spread very easily, or the other way around. I mean, the two things are not related. Um, the other issue is how you deal with this. So we have sort of uh we I mean I include myself in this because we it's also my first reaction. So we are associating lockdowns um and uh um, and this kind of restrictions uh with the with the mortality with like the the, the the dangerousness of this virus. So in the sense that we say uh, we need to lock down because the, the virus is dangerous sometimes, or we need to lock down because it, it's it's phrase I hear. I mean, not everyone says that, but um, sort of when you say that you don't really um, believe lockdowns are an eff- effective measure in containing it, and that's the thing that people tell you most of the times is, well, but the, vi- the virus is dangerous, right? So people are dying, uh, but it's not the same problem, right? So that's two different issues. Um, whether lockdown is a proper measure in counteracting this uh, pandemic is one issue. And how this pandemic spreads is another, and how, how dangerous is that? It's, it's yet another question. So these things need to be kept in mind, because most of the times when I discuss about these issues, then it's, um, they're being conflated together. There's um, no um, clear distinction between the different uh, levels at which, uh, at which this logic works. OK, so another issue, then, is the cost of dealing with it, right? So we might grant that lockdowns are an effective measure, but then they have a price. I mean, let's just stop pretending that uh, like sometimes we do. Oh, we just need to shut everything down for one week or two weeks, one month. I mean, for that, uh, it means that many people for one month, maybe they are, won't have an income. Um, so it's not like, oh, let's just shut down things for one month more, and it would be fine. Um, so there are costs associated to that Uh, maybe it's worth you know it's a cost it's a risk that's worth taking maybe it's not it's it's something that needs to be judged independently however it's it's that has nothing to do with the I mean it has to do but it's a different set of problem of course once you establish that you have some set of measures that are um effective and uh you have a certain level of um mortality then you need to establish a trade-off between the cost of these measures, and the cost in in mortality of the virus. And let's not pretend that uh, it's not just about shutting down the economy. We know there's an actual health cost in mental health and physical health associated to lockdown. So, But again, this is a different issue. Um, and these issues, you know, you can sort of address them scientifically. You can look at uh, data. You can try to make some kind of uh, rational analysis of all these things. So... Um, It's a sort of a scientific question, right? Um, The last question is political. So we want to, that's a different thing. I mean, we we need to establish as a society whether, do we want to pay this cost? Like, what's the implications for our freedom? And this is a discussion that everyone needs to have. It's not, it cannot just be um, restricted to a group of experts. I mean, um, it's the whole society is paying the price for these things and the whole society deserves to be involved in these kind of decisions, I think. it's uh, a, and, it, it, and this is a different issue. So, of course, then you can say, well, we are facing an emergency. Let's suspend all, you know, like, constitutions of, or, you know, let, let's just shut down everything everything, and, and then put everyone in sort of a cage uh, for a while. But then, um, and this is sort of acceptable, I would say, for, you know, for a short period of time, but what if, like, now this thing is, First of all, is is going to be delayed all the time, like we don't know when it's going to end. From a political point of view, I'm saying, and every time there's like some kind of new reason to delay these uh, shutdowns and these uh, sort of restrictions of uh, personal liberty further. Um, and this this cannot be just addressed by means of science or you know like rational reasoning. I mean, you can make a rational case for or against it by any means, but this is already a political question and again this this is another kind of discussion it's it's separated from everything else so even if we decide that we can shut down everything for a reasonable cost in terms of uh life saved and and, and lives lost in the, in, the, in the process of shutting down things there's still the problem of okay do we as a society agree to this should we i mean should we it's for me it's, it's a different question so and all of these things get mixed together so uh, we should be really careful when doing uh, this kind of points. So yeah, as I was saying, like you have usually um, some these kinds of um, logical uh, fallacies uh, when that when you say that uh, you don't really agree with lockdowns, uh, then it means that you are not counting the human cost of you know lives lost because of COVID. Um, or otherwise it means that you are against lockdown just because you're doing a cost-benefit analysis but no i, I mean I'm, what i want to talk about here is just the evidence that we have when you look at the data at large not just one country and some kind of uh you know evidence like oh we shut down then the cases went down yeah it's more complicated than that um so it's it's not even related to a cost-benefit analysis i was saying um and then of course like not being in agreement with some kind of uh, measures that have been put in place uh, by a government doesn't mean that you actually automatically believe in conspirations or, you know, I'm sort of some kind of weirdo and I believe in reptilians or some kind of conspiracy um, behind this whole thing. I think it's just a human mistake on a very large scale, but I think you can rationally explain why this thing is happening, um, even though, again, if for me, like, <laughs> That you cannot really um, push further with lockdowns on, on on rational grounds, but I can understand why this why this is happening. So that's my point. So first thing is um, that was that's really striking me and it's touching me a lot as as a scientist. So I'm talking as a um, um, as an astrophysicist. So I'm used to data analysis. I'm used to model testing. So what you do in science, you you have you know you've got a theory of how the world works in my case it's i don't know galaxies the universe at large uh, stars you have this theory you have data that you get from the you know observations can be radio telescopes telescopes whatever and you do a test so you say okay is my um, theory able to uh, explain this data right this is how science works now if i find some data that is not in agreement with my theory that's Two ways. I mean, maybe I have a problem with the data. It can be, um, maybe I have a problem with the theory. So it doesn't automatically mean that uh, the theory is wrong. But uh, you know, if you then you have one piece of evidence on one hand that you know it's in conflict with the with the with the with your theory. You have another piece. You merge all the pieces together, and. Um, it might mean that actually your theory is wrong, right? And so the important thing to keep in mind about um, about science is that once you establish that the data is uh, you know is reliable and they don't agree with the theory, then you should consider to drop the theory, maybe modify it or you know change it, extend it. And the, the reason why is that I'm saying this is that most of the times that um, when we look um, when you know like evidence for the uh, Efficacy of the lockdowns has um, been presented, you see that there are like some plots, some graphs that actually are in agreement. But the point is not about those that are in agreement. It's about those that are in disagreement with your theory. That's the whole point of science, right? It's like f- the falsification uh, falsifiability, uh, principle of popper. So you can find as many cases as you want that are in agreement with your theory. But once you find something like solid observations that do not fit with your observation with your theory, then you should really, um, you should really think about revi- you know—changing something at least uh, about your theory. Maybe not dropping it altogether, but acknowledging that there is some piece missing. Okay, and so the last thing that is really important here, um, and that's—it's a logical fallacy that I see all the time, being. Um, applied when you look at into the scientific literature. so would I, I call it like with quotation marks because it's it's not really uh, scientific in my opinion. There's a lot of um, mixture between uh, so using as an evidence of a theory the fact that correlation so some facts are correlated, but we know that correlation does not imply causation. So this is one of the most important tenets of science, okay? Correlation does not imply causation. So let me, you know, (laughs) just to prove my point, um, let me share the screen with you. I hope you can see this. Uh, But these are like weird things that might correlate. Okay, so this is um, a website that collects spurious correlations. So you see here, suicides by hanging versus US spending on science. So these two variables seem to be correlated. Does it mean that one is causing the other? Of course not. I mean, this is <laughs> it's, it's bullshit. You can see this uh, number of people who drowned by falling into a pool is correlated with films Nicolas Cage appeared in. Again, it's another crazy kind of correlation. So would you trust like this as a basis of a theory? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, it's a, I, I wouldn't even try to make a case for this to justify this. So again, this is very important because uh, when you look at papers and... and, and um, uh sort of again scientific analysis on the on what's going on with the situation with the coronavirus then <clears throat> it's um you see all the time coming this kind of logic so you see there is a lockdown on the on the on the time axis and then you see the curve and then the curve at some point goes down and then what you see is that oh well then the lockdown that happened before the peak uh, of the curve and this is actually not even true, but anyway, let's assume that well, it's, it's what happens. Uh, happened at this point, and then the curve is going down, and then it means that um, the lockdown caused the decrease in the cases. Now, this is a very, uh, very weak uh, point of uh, you know reasoning. So it's it's it, you don't argue this way. You shouldn't argue this way in science. That's, you should always remember that you need more evidence for to spot a um, correlation okay sorry let me just take a second to have a look at the comments I see there's many um comments here so first of all uh, let me comment about the situation in Italy um I mean the situation in Italy is not so bad as the first wave as far as uh, closures are concerned there are subdivisions within regions with different colors depending on a set of parameters and um so it pretty much depends on which region you are it can be a a red region deep red region yellow region means there's no um, actual there is no not a big threat so not everything is open but uh bars are allowed to operate up to um um they were allowed they're not allowed to operate right now i think it's a not at the moment but they, they they will be I think from next week at least until 6 uh, p.m. and then there's a curfew starting at 10. so it's not so bad but still there's lots of you know people that cannot perform their activities and so so yeah it's um it's not so bad but for again let me stress that there's a whole sector of the population that is prevented from working in any way shape or form so one of the things that I would like to say is that, uh, again, as a musician, now let, let me open this parenthesis, which is unrelated to the topic of tonight's uh, discussion. But um, as a musician, I really uh, feel the, the pain that many of my colleagues are, are going through this at this moment because they cannot work. You, it's even, you know, um, not just the musicians, but you know, all the uh, sound engineers, light engineers, um, sound technicians. Uh, you know all the people that work in this in this uh, like uh, industry. So it's it's a lot of people, and it's a lot of mess. It's a it's a huge it's a huge damage. This places were not open anymore, and the worst thing is that um, you know you are even prevented from talking about some ways you might try to reopen or do things like safely or whatever. No, this is completely being ex- excluded, and I and I find this thing really. Really terrible, but that's another discussion. So let me go back to the what I was talking before. So I was making again um, a few points that should be for me like the most. Um, it's very, you know, the most basic. Uh, the, the really the basics of the scientific methods, right? So always respect your observations. Um, if you have, you know, like some observations that are at odds with your theory, you should really think about changing your theory instead of, you know, like maybe just adding parameters, adding ad hoc hypotheses, and stuff like that. So that's the uh, that that's the other thing. And always remember that correlation does not imply causation. So you can see a lot of correlations. You can make a case. I mean, if you see like things correlated on a very wide variety of cases and very you know um you can estimate the likelihoods anyway i think i'm going to into into very um kind of complicated like mathematical topics but in general this is this does not imply so you need you you really need a lot of uh, kind of different um, sources of evidence to prove a point you just don't you cannot just show a plot and say look this uh happened at this point and this other thing happened at this other point then a cost B. No, well, sorry. Doesn't work that way. All right. So let me <coughs> state my point a little bit more clearly. Now, then I will, I will um, elaborate on how, um, you know, on how did I get to these uh, conclusions. And I want to make these conclusions clear and, you know, sort of try to make them understandable to as many people as possible. So the first thing, um, that I, uh, like, the the first point of my conclusion is that it's not clear how much lockdowns have helped. Again, um, we are exposed to, a, you know, a series of scientists that claim that they saved millions of lives. If you actually look into the debate, if you look into the literature, I think the debate is pretty much open. It's not clear. And, like, if we say it's not clear like for the effects of you know such a microscopic huge action like lockdowns we cannot really estimate um what the impact was the actual impact was on on saving lives then it means that you know maybe we should be skeptical about imposing this kind of large-scale measure that we know for sure impact life in many other ways we know that they are preventing people from going to work from getting a salary from you know, for many, it's many people lost their homes, they lost their jobs, they lost I mean, the people are losing what makes their lives meaningful. So besides all the other kinds of problems that might you know come correlated with lockdowns, like mental problem, violence, domestic violence. Anyway, it's it's a different topic, but we know that lockdowns cost a lot, but we don't know how much they are effective. I will elaborate on this, I will show you why we don't know that how effective they are. The second thing is that reality is really complex. So I have the feeling that this whole debate has been focused on the um, lockdown, no lockdown analysis, right? So it's like this whole issue of of the pandemic, we are always talking, should we restrict more or less? And then on a side note, well, maybe we should make some, you know, places in the hospitals, or I don't know, we should uh, do something else. It's always about (laughs) this part of the logic. It's always about something we should do more. We should do something. Um, Maybe there are more factors at work. I mean, it's not just lockdowns, no lockdowns. Uh, There's thousands of other factors. So I don't know, um, quality of the air, um, temperature. I mean, that's whatever you can think of. Maybe. It's not just you know, like about closing people in a gauge. Maybe there are other ways of transmission. So, and this is something I want to talk about later, but uh, this is the first issue I have with the, with the whole approach that has been sort of uh, discussed in the media. It's always like, should we close more? Should we close less? And then when something happens, it's because you close more or you close less. So usually it's when cases go up and you close, then it's people that are not being compliant. When cases go down and you close this, so you see it's the effect of the lockdown. So you can find evidence in the curves for both cases. Uh, and the thing is that these curves, these contagions, do not do not really depend on this single variable. So we shouldn't focus, the, like the debate should not focus on this one. Um, and the other thing uh, that is pretty interesting to me is the, uh, the way that we assume that n- humans should comply to everything they say. So the politicians say you should stay two months at home without seeing anyone and wear three masks and do this and do that but we know I mean and then, then we complain then we complain with people when they don't do that but you know we know that human nature is imperfect in this sense I mean we cannot just comply to any order we get so whenever we do we, we plan a set of uh, laws and and um, restrictions and we have to do with intri- deal with the intrinsic fact that people won't change you know their behavior from one day to the other at 100 percent. they can change quite a lot we, we've seen that but at some point you know you have the need to see people. You, you need have to need to go out. Maybe sometimes you forget the mask. Maybe you, you put it improperly. Don't do it on purpose. But you know, we are not uh, um, we are not you know <laughs> like people that uh, we don't work with medicine, so we are not used to wear masks. We don't know how to put them properly. We don't know. There's a lot of things we do improperly with masks, and uh, we have to factor it inside the fact that when, when we say, "Oh, if we everyone needs to wear masks," okay, we know already that when we do this, when we impose like people the, the mask wearing most of people will wear it in the wrong way and you cannot blame them because it's uh you know we are just not used to that uh, it takes time maybe I mean some sometimes you cannot just simply wear them you need to eat you need to drink you need to you know you're on an airplane you need to eat and drink and then you know the rest of the flight you're still wearing your mask but then for that you know 10 minutes 20 minutes you eat you want to breathe some maybe at some point maybe it's you know you, you might have problems breathing so again it's a that's a that's also a different issue, but uh, I have the, the feeling that every time that these things are being imposed on us then they always assume that we are you know we should comply perfectly and you know if we do this then people will comply and everything will be nice and then if it's not, it's because people didn't comply but I think it's already wrong to think that people will comply hundred percent in the first place you have to agree that uh, there will be like no compliance it's just human nature in this sense and it, it's completely you know being locked in your home. For most of the people, it's something that's completely natural. It's not natural, so you have to deal with the fact that someone will not obey all these rules. It's it's simply it's simply impossible. Let me go back to one comment, and I think that it's it's pretty interesting here. Before I move forward with my um, with my rant, so so Manila is saying that she doesn't understand why, with and without lockdowns, everyone is wearing a mask right now. But still, the number of um, infections is uh, is um, comparable with what we had at the, at the beginning. And I think this is a very strong point in, you know, not against masks per se, but against the way we are wearing masks, against all this social stigma that's been applied to wearing masks, not wearing a mask. Um, what I mean it's is that we had, like, back in February, March, no one was wearing masks, and we had a spike in the, in the contagion curve. Right, and the infections went up, deaths went up, very quickly in an exponential fashion. So now, after four months, like in Italy, compliance rate with masks was between eighty and ninety percent. In October, when we had the second wave starting, we had exactly the same dynamics. It's basically the same. Dynamic. You can compare the curves, like the death curves. I wouldn't compare the um, contagions and the um, you know the infections in the sense that they are measured in two very different ways, so you cannot really compare them. But the shape of the curve is basically the same in Italy. And same thing in, in the rest of Europe. So basically all of Europe has been masked, apart from a few exceptions. But Italy, Spain, everyone has been wearing masks, and still cases you know, spiked in a very uh, short amount of time you had this exponential growth. So again, I don't understand this either. My take on this is that... Uh, the way we are wearing masks is not effective so maybe if we all had this kind of uh, you know surgeon masks like with a surgical mask with a very extreme extremely um efficient filters maybe I don't know it's it's always what if I don't know I mean should, would be would we be able all together to wear them correctly I don't know I don't think so I mean I I don't think it's a it's possible like to educate people not to you know you don't you shouldn't touch your eyes once you, you touch your mask you shouldn't touch your nose i mean these things we do most of the times without even thinking so it's uh i don't know it's a it's a it's a very fair point so it's uh if you see that and and this is again it's, it's a point against um for my opinion against most of the things that are being told uh in the uh, in the media on uh, the way the the problem is being posed so Um, I don't agree with this. So there's a comment that says that most of the people wear a mask in a very wrong way and all their chin instead of nose and mouth. I don't agree with this in the sense that I really see, in Italy at least, but I've seen them, I think you can you can see them pretty much everywhere. It's, it doesn't depend on that. I mean, there are people that wear them incorrectly at times. But you cannot blame like the full-blown explosion of the second wave on the fact that a few people were wearing them not so perfectly. Because most of the people are actually being pretty much careful at at covering their nose. I mean, I am, everyone is. Everyone, not everyone, of course. But then if if your action relies on the fact that either 95% of the people do this correctly, or it's completely screwed up, then I think it's even worthless to try to do that. I mean, if the result of just a very small fraction of people being in compliance with the measure is exactly the same, as not wearing any mask at all, then on a, I mean on on the case number, then I don't think you can really make it a rational case for a mask wearing in the way we are doing right now. If you want to, you know, like really invest a lot of money and time and teaching people how to wear mask, how you know they should change mask, really sophisticated filters every day, and you know all these kind of things. Maybe we can talk about this. I wouldn't agree, but you know it's something that you can say like the way we are doing this. I I think that's pretty much enough evidence that says it's not really effective. Anyway, Uh, okay, so this is the other thing. So comment would be as people don't use 100% correctly masks, so we lock them down. It's, I mean, this is something you could argue, again. But uh, I have problems with locking down people, first of all. Uh, Let's even say it's mostly because of the effects that you see that uh, when you lock down people do not really change the curve and do not really spread the infection as much as we are led to um believe so let me comment on another comment so this uh what about the possibility that wearing masks gives a sense of full security and thus cases causes people to be less careful that's absolutely true I mean that's it's part of the problem probably um that you you have a device which is not really effective but you still Feel protected, whereas you're not probably. So again, I don't want to really focus on mask. I, w- I would like to talk about a different topic tonight. It's because again, um, it's um, it's another issue. So my issue, my first issue is with the data. So the way you look at uh, the data and you interpret correlations, causations, and how you extrapolate, uh, you know, for example, the numbers of lives saved thanks to some measures. I have problems with the way these things have been dealt with. And um, so I'll I'll move on with the with this as soon as possible. Okay, so I have another uh, set of reflections that I wanted to share with you, which is uh again, it's related to what I was telling before. Um we cannot really reason about uh a one-dimensional world with just one factor. So remember that it's for me like this pandemic is not uh, just one axis. Should we close, shut down more or less? Like the way the pandemic spread is a function of many variables. To put it in a mathematical terms, and you should really focus on a large array of variables. And this one, when you try to um, sort out to single out the effect of restrictions then you find that the effects are really small so it's it's not really that we shouldn't really focus the whole debate about this there are other things that we should talk about I think um but again um one problem that I see with this uh the way this thing has been uh dealt with is that um uh, we have sort of uh again it's part of human nature so we have to deal with it but at least try to make some reflection about the fact that uh, we always look for scapegoats so the People are always uh, driven to think uh, that something happens, then it must be some somebody's fault. That's the first thing we see, right? I mean, there's a pandemic. Oh, the government did it shut down in time. Then the government shuts down. Oh, the government shut down too much. You, you know, it's always uh, there's always some kind of uh, attributing in this case to the government to the political actions um, an effect. So we see something happening. It must be someone had, had done it um but i think we have to accept the fact that things are not always under control so there are lots of things that might be not a it's not you cannot even think um about um controlling them and uh one thing that i i'm i modified about the way i think about this pandemic is i'm thinking it more about as an earthquake and in the sense that um uh, i mean don't take me to li- in in a literal way but uh, again um just to convey the idea of the way i'm thinking about this is that it's an earthquake so you have an external cause something really strong that is shaking the ground but no one would argue like um oh we should stop the earthquake how the fuck do you do that okay and the pandemic is something similar so it's something natural it's like okay it's human you know humans are Obviously, like, <laughs> spreading it in a way, but what if it spreads to the air? What if it's, you know, there's many uh, channels it could spread. We don't know. I mean, we don't know much. Can we be humble and, you know, not just assume that we understood completely the way this thing spreads? Again, I'm making stuff up, but, I, the, again, I, I think it's pretty clear we didn't really understand what uh, what's going on here. What are the mechanisms? So... That's that's another thing we should reflect. I always keep in mind. It's we cannot always find someone to blame, and sometimes things are simply out of control. So you cannot really do much. What you can do, you can get yourself prepared. So you know there's an earthquake. Okay, I'll make earthquake resilient buildings. I'll I don't know. I'll make shelters for the population to to go um, when at, at the first you know site of the of the earthquake. Whatever you know, there's plenty of things you can do. But you don't really think about stopping the earthquake. Because it's going, you know, on no matter what, and I think there's some degree, um, to some degree, like the pandemics is very similar to this thing because we had pandemics in history thousands of times. People tried to stop them. You can read the accounts for, you know, the Black Plague back in the, you know third century, and we didn't have the international flights, and still it it spread very sort of quickly. And people were, you know, isolating their villages and still were getting infected. So it's a now just, you don't know, don't take this thing too literally, just to, to give you an idea that there are things that are out of control and we should accept it. All right. So as they say, so let me just comment on this comment, as uh, they keep discovering new things about the virus every week. So it will take time. I agree. I mean, it's um, we don't know much. I mean, sh- can we? we as a, a scientist like be humble and say we don't really understand much let's try you know to do the if, if you know we know the lockdown we think the lockdown might work but we know they have a huge cost so let's try to do something else um or you know focus on some kind of uh, other approaches let's try to instead of wasting money on uh giving unemployment checks to people not doing anything at home let's invest those money on hospitals I mean it's again I don't want to talk about trade-offs right now. It's it just to give you an idea of what might, might be other lines of reasoning that you could you could make rational cases for. But let's not focus on the exact words I'm using at the moment. And again, I want to like close with this uh, extremely sad news, something no one um, has thought of before. But I have very bad news for you all. People die. I mean, people die sometimes. So we, we need to accept the fact that sometimes people die. All right? The problem is... What is acceptable level of people dying from COVID in this case? Is it 100 per day, 200, is 10,000? 10,000, I would agree is too much. Let's do as much as possible to that. But let's not pretend we need to go to zero COVID cases or, you know, like zero COVID. First of all, I don't think it's achievable, at least in Europe, unless if you live on a very small island or you live in a, you know, sparsely populated place. with you, you could maybe think about this. I mean, this is what, what they did, allegedly, in, uh, in New Zealand. I'm not even disputing that. So, But uh, there are places where you cannot really think about uh, getting rid of it 100%. What about Africa? I mean, ca- can you seriously think you can make this kind of track and tracing and very sophisticated ways of uh, tracking people and putting restriction on very poor places? Forget about it. I mean, there's no way. So... We have to live with this. We have to find a way of, uh, you know, we have to remind ourselves people die. So like saying every life of COVID is life lost and, you know, this kind of rhetoric. Well, you know, there's people dying of car accidents, uh, heart attack, cancer. You can name, you know, there's thousands of of, of causes. So how preventable is that? It's another issue again, but um, it's something I've seen too many times on, uh, you know, there's a complete disparity. And actually there's research on this, that people are treating like that's from COVID in a different way from that's from other disease whether we should agree that it's uh, we, everything uh, every life matters so we all these uh, deaths matter the same the same way now we are only dealing with uh, with one subset of um, of people dying so but let me move on because i think it's uh, i'm making too many uh points at the same time um so let me make a small recap on um, what i used to think before um and because I was a absolutely pro-lockdowns, um, I really thought that a theory behind the lockdowns and the ideas uh, um, between the idea of the lockdown, so you have an exponential growth, you don't want it to grow indefinitely. And then once uh, you, you know, you sp- it's the only way of uh, cutting down on this exponential spread is the um is making a lockdown so it makes sense like, you like people you know you have the virus you infect other people and so and this grows you have this uh R of T you know the reproduction uh factor that you know is, is, is if it's a constant then every every step in time it's increasingly eventually become an exponential and then it's um, it's terrible and then you saturate the uh um, ICUs and and so on and so forth so the way to do this is preventing people from meeting, preventing contacts for people. It makes sense. I mean, it's. Uh, I don't have anything to argue with the logic behind it. I have problems when you see that it's not really working in practice. Okay, so the, the fact is that even if a theory is very logic and makes a lot of sense, it still needs to explain the data. So let me just comment on something. Um, that I hear all the time right now the problem haven't been the number of deaths but the number of people filling hospitals for many weeks no I mean yes of course I mean you don't want uh, ICUs to be uh, filled but I mean that's just a proxy for the number of deaths because you know that if you fill up the ICUs or you don't have enough medical stuff to deal with the uh, cases then more people will die and so the later you deal with this, the more people will go to the hospital, the more people will get infected and the more people will die because no matter how many places will be um, occupied in the hospitals, you will have a fraction of the people that are infected that will die. So the more people you infect, the more people will die. That's pretty, that's pretty <laughs> linear. You have a constant factor between them. Now you have to estimate the infection fatality ratio. Uh, the infection fatality rate, but uh, there's a constant between these two numbers. So it's not true. I mean, the problem is, of course, it's one of the problems. You say, okay, we don't want to overwhelm hospitals. Fine. But at the same time, if you say you reduce the cases, you're also saying that you're reducing the deaths from COVID. Unless you say that all, in principle, all the people that get infected with COVID can be saved in the sense that you have a very 100% effective cure for that, which is not the case. So, if you say that you want to cut down on cases and infections, you are implying that you are cutting down on deaths, on death rates. That's, uh, that's it, okay? So, you cannot really dispute this point. It's a different thing, it's two different things. But one one if you want to cut down on infections, not to saturate the ICUs, then you are also cutting down, as a byproduct, you should have a smaller number of deaths, that. And that's exactly what many people argue. That's exactly what has been uh, proposed in in the literature by some scientists. Uh, They say that the effects of the lockdown can be measured in lives saved, and some of them estimated also in three million deaths, like, say, three million lives saved, all right? So, um, let me look at another couple of questions. So, what's going on with the vaccines in Italy? In several vaccines are like crazy. We're always behind. Um, okay, I think Serbia has a different. Oh, I don't know if I should open this brand anyway. Um, Serbia is getting a lot of vaccines from, uh, I guess, from Russia and from and from China as well. So Serbia is outside of the EU. I think they have uh, stronger political ties with the uh, US and and China. Sorry, with um, with China and and Russia rather than they have with the US. So it's easier for them to obtain vaccines from Russia and China. And this is what it, what it happened. So I don't know how much. Uh, I don't have. I seriously have no idea about the vaccines, the efficacy of the effectiveness of the vaccines in uh, in Russia and China. It's Neon uh, poima, Um, So I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, there's a lot of politics behind this. So there's a lot of international. I mean, I shouldn't even say that. Of course, there's there's a lot of politics. There's a lot of peer pressure. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, other things behind science going around. So. And I don't want to focus on that for the moment. Um, but let me go on. So um, I was taking, I was talking about the, my stand on the whole issue before a few months ago, actually before the second wave started. And so the idea was that um, again, lockdowns make sense. You know, you have to keep people separated. You need to reduce human interaction, and so you spread the, you know, will curb the spread of the virus. And otherwise, you would run into an endless sort of uh, exponential growth of cases. Eventually, you know, we'll saturate ICUs. We'll have more cases and more people dying just because there's uh, this constant factor between infections and uh, and deaths. So it would be a tragedy, and it made sense to me. And I, I mean, I think it makes sense. You can make a case for this, except I don't think it fits with the data. And that's the issue. I mean, you have this theory. That is completely reasonable, um, and it's upheld by a lot of scientists. Um, but if you look at the data, and we will come to the data very soon, <laughs> um, it's at odds with what you see, right? So when you do a cross-country analysis and you do you, you try to do some kind of more sophisticated data analysis, um, you cannot really uh, make a case, in my opinion. For the fact that the more you lock down, so the more you keep people separated, the more you reduce the human interaction, the more you're also reducing the infections and deaths. I don't think you can make that case based on the data again. Now, but, um, and so when, when I'm talking about based on the data, it's, it's also, I'm already talking about some kind of more sophisticated uh, analysis, but. Um, Um, The first doubts that I had uh, actually uh, are related to what was being commented first by um, one of the listeners. And so that uh, it's really hard to explain how come that the second wave, in terms of uh, deaths at least, if you look at the curve, at the beginning really looked exactly like the first one. I mean, despite the fact that we have been banning all the concerts or festivals, uh, restaurants have been running at reduced capacity. uh, you had to keep social distancing you had to wear masks you there were lots of lots of measures now you, you can argue that these measures were imperfect people were going out you had you know it was going on sure uh but you know still we had a lot of suppression of interaction with respect to any anything that was happening everywhere until february i mean um we had all large gatherings canceled all festivals all concerts everything was pink at so you all kind of huge meetings Are being cancelled, so you should expect at least from this side to come to have some effect. Same thing, you know, we're going to school with you know masks and keeping people uh, separated, all sorts of things. So you cannot really, I don't think you can really argue that um, it's because these restrictions have been implemented in a imperfect manner that this whole mess started all over again, just like the first time. There were so many things in place the second time that even though imperfect, I mean, you cannot make concerts like of 10,000 people as you had pretty much everywhere, every week. Every major city had at least one, two, three uh, large concerts every week. So, and that was not happening anymore. So a lot of large gatherings were avoided. Even small concerts were being canceled. So you had a lot of things that, you know, no matter how um, ineffectively, you know, we're enforcing these uh, measures, um then uh, still you know you had this growth that started all over again just like the first time and this is very very fishy to me at least you know you look at northern europe um even some mean, that whole europe actually uh, all northern hemisphere more or less you had this curve starting at the same time same dynamics no matter what was going in place before and so the first question is uh then why were we you know all the summer we had ups and downs but you know we never had this explosion why did this happen all of a sudden in all of the countries at the same time like where whereas and we know that most of the countries have been implementing a lot of restrictive measures again maybe it was not perfect but can we blame you know we know that many things were not happening anymore there was a lot of restriction going on we know that can we just blame this on on the imperfection of the measures um I don't know. Um, I think this this is very suspicious. So, first thing we um, we've been told is that this visual virus is not seasonal. So there's not not a seasonal pattern. At least in the media, this is not in the science. And the science is still being argued. And I, I can see. I can, I would say they can make a case for seasonality at least in you know, in uh, in northern countries, northern European countries, but northern hemisphere in general, like above a certain non-equatorial countries. Let's put it that way. You you see a consistent pattern of uh, cases going up and down more or less you know in in the same period and you really need to have a conspiracy you know people need to conspire states need to conspire to trigger the um, the start of a second wave within you know a window of one two weeks it it was all over again uh, all over Europe. Um, and for four months, it was kept in place, like it was kept in check. You didn't really have uh, explosions of pandemic in uh, in the summer, nowhere in Europe. You had some cases, some spikes, it was under control. By and large, it was under control. So what, what changed? I don't know. I would say uh, this is something that is contradicting the uh, theory, like what we've been told in general that this virus is not seasonal. And so we should care about it uh, no matter when, no matter where. Uh, I'm not sure that it, I'm not sure it, it it fits the theory. So this is the first uh, piece of evidence uh, I can think you can uh, use against this whole line of reasoning. The other thing is that there's a lot of uh, anecdotal evidence. When you talk about um, you know about lockdowns, then you only read in the in the press or you talk to people. Um, The kind of evidence they had in in favor of lockdowns is like, oh, you know, but because they closed bars and then the cases went down or they closed this thing and then cases went down. And that's always, you know, it's maybe one week later, two weeks, three weeks. Like there's no uh, clear relation between the date of lockdown and the, you know, the peak of the curve. Sometimes it's right after the peak, sometimes before the peak. We don't, I mean, in general, it's not really clear. And many of this of uh, the um, much of the evidence, has been proposed uh, in the public as to why this, um, you know, why do lockdowns work, is based on this anecdotal fact. So you always hear, oh, but you know, um, I was doing this. You uh, know, I, I live This is the typical answer. I lived in this country, and I remember that after they closed these things, then after a while, I think cases went down. And this is a fallacy, like it's a logical fallacy of uh, correlation and causation. So how can you know that the cases did not went down, anyways? So this is the first. This is these are some first uh, doubts that came to my mind. So um, can we uh, really say something so about the places that did not implement these very strict measures? So. Um, Yes, you look at the data. There are many places in uh, in Europe, outside of Europe, that did not implement a complete lockdown. OK, the most famous of them is Sweden, but it's not just Sweden. Um, it's Japan, for example. So what's the what's the thing here? Now, you read very often in the press about Sweden. For example, you see these kind of articles. Uh, let me share the screen with you so I can uh, you know what i'm talking about so that's for example okay i've just taken one this is the conversation i don't know if this is a uh, academic rig or journalistic fair i don't know maybe it's it, it i don't know how uh, reliable this is but this this so this is the kind of titles that they are presenting so sweden and japan are paying the price for covid exceptionalism and so let's just focus on on japan for a while so this this article is dealing with japan like oh uh, they are big nationalists. They think their ways are better than the others, but they are paying for this very hard. And so you see this plot here. Okay. So you see daily new COVID cases until December. And you see a curve here. There's a first spike. Uh, that's the first wave. Second wave in August. Third wave starting yeah, somewhere in October, going up, still not going down. All right. And so they are telling you, oh, exceptionalism and hubris are closely related, blah, blah, blah. And so the fact that basically the bottom line of this article is that these places are opened and they're paying the price, are paying a really, really uh, hard price for this. That's another article. This is, again, just to, to show you what's um, what's the bias in the media, because every time you see cases going down, you see, oh, these guys uh, close the bars and cases are going down. Great. You see, this, uh, this is the kind of policies. Cases go up and, oh, it's they are to blame. But OK, um, this are Associated Press news and um, Okay, Japan's confirmed COVID cases hit new record. So you you know they are saying Japan is new record and they are growing and growing and growing. It's a disaster. Can we have a look at the curve of Japan? Okay, so I'm comparing here. This is a plot that I made. It's the number of cases. So just you know this is the curve that I'm showing you in the in this in this uh, journal in this uh, newspaper, um, in this well, media outlet. I don't know what the conversation is exactly. So you see these these three curves, right? This these three peaks. Let's go to the data, okay? This is Japan, Belgium and Austria. So, by the way, Belgium and Austria are two places that did a very hard lockdown on the second wave. The blue line here, this one, is Japan. Okay, so you see how much, I mean, isn't this like presenting, (laughs) this plot here, isn't this misleading, to say the least? Like you're saying, oh, they are paying the price for the exceptionalism. Like if I had to put things in context, then I would say, oh, look, this guy's Belgium and Austria did a lockdown and they're paying the price for the lockdown. I mean, if I had to follow the logic, I'm not making that case, like, just to be clear. But, I mean, isn't this crazy? So, by the way, now, um, for example, you look at Belgium. Belgium actually imposed the hard lockdown on the 31st of uh, October. And it's two days. It's exactly two days after the peak. So this is the peak, 29th, two days after you get the lockdown. So can you really say that the lockdown is causing this drop? I mean, it was dropping when the import. Maybe you know this drop is already caused by other measure. Maybe the other measure were enough. Um, I don't know. It's uh, again. Uh, this is this is uh, for just a, a, a first point. Uh, don't I don't want to draw too m- too many conclusion at this point. I just want to you know like put some doubts on what's the usual uh, nar- narrative uh, about these facts, which I find really. Um, I find it really disturbing to be honest because again this is they are claiming in in this this is just an example but there's many examples of articles that have these headlines about japan about sweden how many people are dying there how tragic is the situation there because they didn't do a lockdown and then if you put things into perspective in japan at least we'll come to sweden later but let's let's look about japan here you see how how misleading is this i mean no, it's it's not acceptable. Okay, it's, this is not acceptable. It's something there's a there's a there's a narrative being pushed, and I don't agree with this. And um, again, Japan, by by the way, it's a place they did a lockdown on on the first wave, second wave, completely opened. They're giving vouchers to people to go on vacation, uh, and you see, I mean, this is the number of cases. So what's the takeaway point here for me? Uh, maybe there are other things at play. I mean. Maybe there are some genetic factors that affect the spread of the disease. There are some kind of natural immunity. I mean, I'm making stuff up. I don't know. But can I just say that it's, we shouldn't focus on lockdown and say, oh, look, we did a lockdown here, and then the curve went down? Because it doesn't make much sense. Um, so again this, is, again, this is all public data. It's, uh, this is two cases. By the way, so this plot is cases per million. So it's number of cases. But it's normalized by cases per million. This is also something you need to be um, careful because sometimes they present data with you know with they are not normalized. So it's the total number of cases. But what matters is number of cases per million or per hundred uh, thousand. This, it depends on normalization. Now I did these plots with the uh, cases per million. So um, never mind. That's not the important bit here. Um, so let me check. Uh, sorry let me check back on what was my uh, schedule to talk um again there's lots of let, let, lots of issues lots of unknowns here so we don't know for example in, in all this whole narrative we've been told that there's uh, a symptomatic spread then they found out there isn't uh, there's some paper uh, was published in nature uh, that found out like uh, on a thousand cases that were uh, exposed to asymptomatic uh, COVID uh, patients, so to say, um, and no one of these thousand and more people was that has been exposed to these asymptomatic spreaders uh, got the COVID. So, but at, at the beginning we said, oh, we put a lot of emphasis on uh, asymptomatics. So there is a lot of contradiction in the in the narrative that has been pushed, and and I understand it because scientifically it's unclear, but then. If every other day we present some evidence in one direction and then, uh, you know, contradicting evidence every other day, so you have one direction, one time, it's a asymptomatics matter, then they don't matter, masks. If you remember at the beginning, at least there was a huge debate on the mask. Then at some point they decided that masks work and we have to wear them, fine. But there was, there was a debate at the beginning. So it's not so clear. I mean, I would say still nowadays, it's not so clear what's their effect. And if you wear them properly, because the, this thing has been really... Tested just in laboratories, we we really have a few, uh, very few examples of experiments in uh, in um, in real life, so to say. Because at the end of the day, you know, you can make a lot of theories and experiments in laboratory, but then what happens very often is that in real life, these things do not mirror what you have in your lab or in your theory. There's a lot of friction. There's a lot of stuff going on. So and sometimes it you know you can understand things the way things happen by the theory but you cannot really apply like on a literal basis anyway so mm, the other thing is that if you try to keep track of the predictions and on both optimistic and uh, pessimistic predictions so both both sides of the argument like got it wrong basically every time so there's just so many uh, I everyone knows about this so you read some someone that says oh next week uh two weeks then everything will be blown up and then nothing happens um there, there was a headline from a Belgian newspaper they said uh right two days after the peak they said oh in 10 days uh the um, you know ICUs would be intensive care units would be uh full so we'll have to send uh, patients to Germany and this thing didn't happen but still and it was based on mathematical models and no one questioned that I mean st- this is still going on nowadays so there's uh again there's a uh, lot of unknowns to say the least and uh, the thing that you know you cannot really rely on predictions so we are working like on uncharted territory by and large we know a few things but not so much not as much you know because that's the issue that I have that uh, when people talk about science so when scientists go on television they usually um, on TV, or, but you know, like on media or whatever, they go and they present a view like, oh, "I'm a scientist. I have a scientific view. That's it." Whereas, like, science is more about understanding what are the error bars, what are what is the uncertainty about your statement. And in this phase, I think uh, we are dealing with something that's completely new, and there's a lot of uncertainty. But we still hear people talking about this, uh, and we have. You know, this kind of experts go on television in Italy every other day, and they, they always claim, you know, in two weeks, it's going to be the end unless you lock down. It's like, wait, uh, we didn't really establish the effectiveness lockdowns, and you're claiming this like, it's like the gospel. And I'm not even talking about the side effects and, 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 and you know, the, about the, the price that you have to pay. So in this phase, especially, you need to keep in mind that science is something that has to do with the error bus, with the uncertainties. There are things that you know they are uncertain but to a very very small degree so we know that this works 99 99 uh, uh yeah 0.999 percent uh, of times there are different of course you, you need to establish how confident you are there are cases in which you are so confident that you can really safely say this is true and i believe this okay i don't think this is the case right now i, I think the case that we are facing with the pandemic is more about different levels um, of confidence that you cannot really estimate. Okay, so there are, and there's a lot of uncertainty, and this is not what is being sold to the public. We always say, "Oh, but we have the scientists here with this committee, and then we sold things for us, and we just need to do what the experts say." Um, forgetting it, actually, there's a lot of experts that do not agree with these points of view, so that the d- debate is open. So there's not evidence, uh, not enough evidence for, for 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 this case. But this is not this is not being uh, discussed in the public. This is something that's really bothering me it's I I think it's um it's upsetting the way of science like being pre oh the scientist said that and we have to do this I would agree in many cases when you know it's it's an issue that's been studied for 100 years we have lots of data Uh, but this is not the case so it's largely unsettled it's largely unknown and there's a lot of evidence that goes in um in the other direction with respect to the um dominating narrative so again let me just uh, uh, again stress this point uh, most of the predictions were wrong still like no one is uh, no one is really um putting into question the way these predictions have, have are being sold to the public at least and the way that some scientists are selling them in some cases just the media is making you know a false representation of what someone says in a paper some some results some cases there are the scientists outright going and you know they go and and make uh, certain statements in a case where you cannot really make um, certain statements so again um, at this point what what's my conclusion is uh bottom line is we didn't really understand much there might be genetic factor at play maybe there is seasonality there are a lot of pre-existing factors at play how do we find out uh is there a way of um saying that uh the for example number of infection number of deaths is uh related to some of these factors so what are uh, the uh, factors that determine the most they are mostly related to what we see today so well, in other way what i was saying before we know that this is a function of many variables and we want to establish So say we have uh, the mortality depends on 40 variables, and we want to establish out of these 40 variables, which one played the largest role, Okay, So how do you do this? Uh, You cannot, uh, you have a problem here in the sense that uh, what you would normally do in controlled experiments, you have a counterfactual. So you have like a control sample. Which means uh, you have two samples of people that have exactly the same characteristics. You give like a placebo, or you know some sample you don't do anything. The other one, um, you apply your prescriptions. So in this case, K means we should have. Uh, in this case, it means that we should have, for example, two Italys, One Italy without any restriction. The other Italy with restrictions. And it turns out you cannot really do this. The best thing you can come up with is okay let's take a country and a near neighboring country and let's see let's look at the curves it's a fair approach uh makes sense and so but still it's not perfect the other thing that you can do is uh for example trying to make a mathematical model of the issue at stake and then you compare reality with the mathematical model so you have a mathematical model that is describing, for example, the course of the pandemic. And uh, you use this mathematical model as a um, like fake Italy. So you want to compare what happened in Italy after you imposed the lockdown and the restrictions to the mathematical Italy, so the mathematical simulation of Italy, without the restriction. And then you look at the difference. So this is, I mean, it's a plausible approach. It's something that people do all the time. Uh, but there are problems. I mean, how do you do? Uh, how, rely, how can you rely on a specific mathematical model? So there are tons of parameters here. Uh, you cannot really simulate uh, a country one to one. You need to make approximation. You need to make assumptions about the way people interact. You can, you know, there's. Uh, you need to make assumptions. You, you know, you cannot really simulate something and and you know, uh, get uh, the real, you know, sixty million people simulate each and every one of them in the way they actually behave. Of course, you cannot really do that. You can make some approximations. Now, the thing is that in these approximations, you don't have one approach. So when people say, oh, it's a scientific approach, it's a, it's a scientific model. Well, it's scientific because it's mathematical. Uh, well, not really. I mean, uh, what are the assumptions that lie at the basis? So wh- when I do an approximation, wh- what I'm, what, why am I doing this? So what's, what's the approximation? What are the assumptions? Um, so this is something that you need to keep in mind, because when people claim in in the literature that, you know, um, restrictions save lives, they're not really doing, not even a cross country comparison, most of the times they're looking at models. So they say, I have a model that predicts that the epidemic will go this way. The epidemic went the other way. And then, um that's just how things go and uh, so I can compute the difference and say oh look I saved this many lives in principle it makes sense but uh, it's problematic and then, uh, I will talk about this more um let me just have mm-hmm. a um answer to one question so why are so many governments and scientific technical committees going on with these strong policies even in our adverse evidence about real proportions that benefits from them okay it's a different question so first of all there's a um, Again, there's a lot of scientists that believe, you know, uh, in this uh, that, that the evidence against them is not uh, enough, and they still, you know, support their models and their approach. And governments, they have political pressure. So the government at this point has two options. Um, because of what I was saying before, no matter what happens in a country, you will say it's because of the government. So if at some point the pandemic stops, then oh, thanks government for the for the lockdown. And so if an employment goes up, you would say, oh, fuck you uh, government, for example. So the point is that the um, politicians at this point, they have two really two options. It's either the curve goes up and people die, you know, you have more deaths and you, you know, you withdraw all the restrictions. And then people will say, oh, you caused all these deaths, that debt people, because you withdrew the restriction. Either they put the restriction on. If the restriction don't work, they say, "Oh, it's because people were not complying, compl- you know, were not compliant." I am, you know, I'm okay with what I'm, with the uh, with what I'm doing. I'm doing my best. I'm closing down everything. And so the real issue is that uh, you should people can blame you either for dead people or for unemployed people, and being blamed for unemployed people is a you know it's it's much. Uh, <laughs> It's much better than being blamed for, for uh, dead people. I think this is the first thing. There's many factors that play here. The other thing is, of course, governments choose their advisors. So they don't choose their advisors at random. Of course, they choose advisors that at some point align with their political views. And so it turned out that most of the you know, governments on this planet have taken this stance with lockdowns, with restrictions. And of course, the few that don't, they have a different kind of te- uh, technical committee. And the few that don't, there are few, uh, I agree. But it doesn't mean that in countries that, uh, you know, they are doing hard lockdowns, there are scientists that are opposed to them on a scientific basis. So again, I would say that mostly it's, it's because of political reasons. And politicians can, you know, can uh, make, um, can you can choose your advisor in a way that aligns with your, with, uh, with our views and I think that's what's going on here I think it's uh, it's pretty much uh, it's pretty much clear. So I wanted to move forward and, and talk about uh, so like make some now I've been talking a lot but I didn't really show uh, so much data right so I want to take a look uh, shortly again at what um, how this kind of views low so anti-lockdown views are viewed are presented in the in the press and uh, on the internet because i don't think i i know i'm a scientist myself so like being saying i'm anti-science i don't know you could say that i'm being paid by big pharma big i don't know big whatever i wouldn't say big pharma at this point because they have other interests but this is what people claim so um let me just make my uh, point clear uh, if you see here so this is um an article oh, it's on the guard. and it's on the guardian and so the pursuit of herd immunity is folly was found in this bad science. So this is talking about uh, um, the Great Barrington Declaration. So I don't want to enter into the details of that. If you don't know what it is, uh, it's basically it's a declaration of, a, of scientists, Nobel Prizes and professors in uh, Oxford, um, Stanford, you know, lots of different places that are opposed to lockdowns and they propose a different approach. I don't want to talk about that right now. I'm just saying that that's an example of uh, scientists that are against this approach, and there's a lot. And they're, you know, they are in respected institutions. They are top scientists, so you should at least take them seriously, at least look at what they say. And but anyway, so the, the thing is that um, all of a sudden, when when you see this kind of non agreement, non alignment, and uh, this is uh, presented as a uh, folly, and it's being funded by anyone, so there's always like uh, some interest behind it they are not doing that because of side they are doing that because they have money and beware of something i mean i'm not saying that the scientists that are supporting lockdowns are you know they have some kind of bad uh, attitude they are being paid by big pharma or i mean I, uh, you shouldn't I, I don't think you should ever question the intentions i think we all have good intentions sometimes the problem is that we have prejudice on the way the world works and so we fail to acknowledge when our prejudice, when our theories, do not really fit the data. And this is something you see all the time with a religious discourse, with a, you know, a political. You cannot really uh, make a rational case for many things because people, most of the times, uh, you know, you kind of sh- you always try to shift your position and add some other factors until you know you are comfortable, even though the evidence it's is against you. Then you always try to you know make up things. So and this is something natural scientists do this and. And sometimes this might have a good point. you know I, I'm not even I'm not an expert in this. again, I'm, I'm just saying this from a uh, general point of view. So maybe I'm wrong. I, okay, I admit it, I, maybe I'm wrong. I would just want to discuss the things that make me think at least I'm not completely wrong, and the data that is being uh, generally misrepresented as we've seen before or uh, has been like overlooked. We don't hear much about these places. Like we don't hear about Japan the way you know they are completely open and still like, epidemics is, is basically nothing compared to other places. And again, the implications of what what does this mean? Maybe it still means we need to lock down because we are not Japan. Fair enough, but let's discuss it, what happened there. Let's let like, you know. Let's just not focus on people that uh, on places that closed more, and we say we need to do like these places. Maybe there's an alternative. Let's see what happened there. And let's see what uh, what can we do. So, um, it's a, it's a good questioning other people's uh, you know intentions. I d- like this kind of of presentation is very uh, it's it, it's not honest, right? So you should first talk about what their, someone's. Especially if someone is a respected scientist, is another respected scientist, is a Nobel Prize, you should at least discuss this, you know, scientific point about that. It might be wrong, but still it at least deserves to be addressed. But here, like this is what they're doing, they are finding this bad science. Um, more on the point, though, there is this interesting website. It's called Antivirus, the COVID 19, frequently asked questions so we call the people they are COVID skeptics and i'm one of these COVID skeptics apparently so they they make a fairly a fair statement here about who doesn't believe so they want to discuss the evidence in favor of lockdowns and you know the usual policies that have been pushed um and so and those that are being criticized by people like me uh, that i'm a lockdown skeptic so they have um several sections on the website uh, this is effects of COVID-19. These are all mostly questions that have to do with biology, so I'm not even touching them because I'm not an expert. Uh, lockdown skepticism. This is what my um, podcast, today's podcast is all about. So I'm going to address this one. And uh, just to, again, if I had time, I would go through each and every point, but just to show you what uh, what is going on here, how people are, saying no lockdown work what what the fuck are you saying okay so this is more or less uh, more or less what's the point here so there's uh all these points I, I'm not even addressing that um uh, but um okay so let's go to this point which is one of those lockdowns do save lives so the importance of lockdowns in reducing the deaths from coronavirus cannot be overstated one paper from June eh, reviewed 11 European countries So they're talking about one paper, which is pretty famous. It's called, uh, let's open this. It's this, estimating the effects of non-pharmaceutical intervention on COVID-19 in Europe. So they claim this, among others. Now, I don't have time to go through all of them, but let me just, you know, discuss this one. Uh, They, fair enough, they acknowledge here that this paper has been criticized, but uh, they mention one criticism. This paper actually had, like, hundreds of criticisms. By other scientists, so what what is the what, what what's going on here? So this paper is called "Estimating the Effects of Non-Pharmaceutical Interventions uh, MPIs, on COVID-19 in Europe." And bottom line, what they do here, as I said before, they try to estimate uh, how many people died during the um, during the um, so how many people would have died during the pandemics had no intervention taken place, versus how many people actually died. So you do the difference, you look, you make a mathematical model, you say this model is predicting the number of people that would die in absence of any kind of intervention, and you compare it with the actual data, or the actual number of people that die. Um, and then you see, okay, look, we uh, found that we, so many people would have died, but uh, we did this intervention, so we saved that many lives. So this is the data from this paper. It's this table. And you see here, this is what they're doing. These are the estimates. This is These are the observed deaths up to the 4th of May. They have these points here. They say in Austria they died 600, Belgium almost 8,000, and so on and so forth. OK, so you have all these numbers here. These are the actual dead people. These are the estimates. I mean, they have a model. Then I would say like with a model that includes all the restrictions. And their model says, "Oh, look! We did the restriction, and we predicted this kind of number of dead people using our mathematical model." And this is like to say, "Okay, our model can reproduce uh, reproduces well this data." It's just sort of a, they want to self-confirm what they are stating. So we have a good model, and our model, once we uh, introduce the restrictions into it, then it can reproduce the actual number of dead people that we have seen. So this is this is observed data. Um, these are uh, counterfe uh, it's like it's her- it's model data, okay. So this is the interesting part because this is uh, the same mathematical model used assuming no interventions have occurred, okay. So these are the numbers. They say United Kingdom half a million, Sweden twenty eight thousand, uh, and this is like the median value. This is like the most likely estimate up to the fourth of May, okay. So first thing that I noticed here, which is pretty fishy, suspicious, you have countries that had all sorts of different restrictions, most notably Sweden didn't almost have a lockdown. Um, I mean, they didn't have a lockdown. They shut down large events and they, they took some other precautions, but not nearly as much as we did in Italy. And still are claiming that the same mathematical model can reproduce both this, I mean, predicts, sorry, it predicts both this and this at the same time. So it's basically telling you that you can, with a very, uh, just banning the large events, you can reproduce Sweden, but then to reproduce Italy, you need to add other factors. So you have different, I mean, there's something weird going on here, because I would say like no interventions have occurred. It's the most likely picture for Sweden, right? Sweden almost had no intervention compared to the other places. And so these are the deaths. This is the death count. They say, okay, we have our model, like, had no intervention taken place, in Austria we would have had something like 65,000 deaths, and so on and so forth. And so this is like the estimate. They say, okay, maybe it's uh, between 2.8 to 3.5 million deaths. We averted. Bottom line, they say, oh, this is the actual number. It's 128,000. This is the theoretical number. And so we saved 3 million lives. Now, what's the issue here? it's this model that they are they're using it which is freaking i'm freaking out every time i see this uh, let uh, let me go back to the to the to the paper so what they're claiming here okay let me just uh set this go to this point okay they have a reproduction number in their model they assume this reproduction number is constant no matter what okay so this is the reproduction number here and these are the date this is the time axis okay Their model says, I have a reproduction number. So the reproduction number is that number that tells you how many people, if I have so many people infected in one day and the reproduction number is larger than one, then I multiply this number of people by RT larger than one. It means that on the day after, I will have a larger number of infected people. So to make, uh, to control a pandemic, you need to drive this uh, reproduction number below one. Okay? So the point is that when you have a pandemic going on, this reproduction number can be one, two, three. Uh, it can be you can sort of try to estimate it, measure it from the data. And in Italy, it looks it was something like four or five, and eventually it went down to 0.8 something. I don't know, 0.5. I don't remember the actual numbers. But that, that's that's the dynamics that's going on here. But what are they saying here? So what, how does this model work? I mean, this paper again. Let me remind you was published on Nature. It's like the most prestigious uh, journal scientific journal, they said, OK, we assume that the reproduction number is constant, OK? And every time the government does an intervention, we take it down. So in the case of Sweden, what they did, this is not the case. I don't remember which country is this, but uh, let, let me load this. Um, so what they're doing, maybe you see better now, its they say, OK, this is reproduction number. We did this intervention, so we brought it down. We did this other intervention, so we brought it down this a little bit further. We did lockdown at some point here, complete lockdown, and then it went down. So this is an assumption. You're, they are saying that anytime the government does something, this reproduction number, which again, it's a number that you can estimate from the data in a very noisy way, but it's sort of, I wouldn't call it like uh, a experimental number, but you can estimate it, right? And so it's a number that you can estimate. They say that uh, this number, theoretically it's just going down by at every every date so it there's no like intrinsic dynamic in it it's it's a constant and then the government does something and this is going down okay and so they find that um complete lockdown brings it down to this point below one and so when you have the reproduction number below one the pandemics is starting to um uh, um how do you say it? like un- to um, you know to Decrease, so you decrease the number of cases, and so the pandemic starts to disappear. That's the bottom line. That's why you want to bring this number below one. But they're doing this by construction. They are saying, "Look, we do this, and then because of this, we say that the number goes below one." They're not actually looking at the data. What's the, what's what's the interesting part here? This is uh, an actual estimate of the of the of this R of T value from the data. Okay, it's completely different. So what are they saying here? Is that you see the dynamics? So th- this is one ST. you can do it in many ways. It's just to show you that a different approach here is telling you, look, this is going down already before the first lockdown. It was going down, already. I mean, if you want to be like, I don't know, picky, you can say, oh, look, the first lockdown, and then right after it's going up. It's going up because it's a very noisy ST, It's like a very hard measure to do, it's very noisy. But this, this is something that you get from the data. So, right, <laughs> and this is going down naturally. And so they are taking this model, where they assume that every uh, interaction triggers um, an, a, a smaller R of T, and they say, "Look, we find this many deaths, but this is something they're sort of imposing." In the, I mean, they're they saying, "Oh, this is a constant R of T," whereas in reality, R of T is dynamic. You already know that this is changing, and they're assuming constant until the first lockdown. It's crazy. I mean, I think it's cra- I think it's a, it's a very you know, <laughs> you cannot really make this point. It's a. Uh, The, the point that they're making here, it, I don't know. It, it, blo- it blows my mind. I, I cannot believe this thing got published on Nature. To be honest, it's uh, it's very sad because then you know it's this kind of papers that are affecting the way that we live nowadays, right? So this is one critique that it, it became, you know that you see on this kind of. Uh, let me go back to this site and they cite this paper. So there has been criticized. As we report below, there are many other blah blah blah. blah. Um, they don't really criticize though. They don't mention here all these papers that criticized. There's many more. So let, let me go through this. Uh, there's another one. Um, again, this is a scientific paper. It's a different approach. So this is on a preprint. It's not being peer reviewed, but you know, once I know that this thing has been peer reviewed, <laughs> it's, it's past peer reviewed, then I don't care about peer review anymore. Like at this stage, it really makes, doesn't make much sense on this topic. But let me just draw their conclusion. Inferences of the effects of MPI, so non-pharmaceutical interventions, are non-robust and highly sensitive to model specification. Claimed benefits of lockdown appeared grossly exaggerated. So this, again, have you ever heard someone, like some scientist on television, telling you that the claimed benefits of lockdowns appear grossly exaggerated? No, <laughs> I mean, I haven't. If you If you know of someone, well, I'd be happy to know that. But the debate here seems to be really um, confined to this very, to this very few, um, not even very few, but you know, f- to this uh, to this kind of thesis, or to scientists that support this kind of uh, outcomes. Whereas this is one example. I mean, you can make tens of this kind of scam. I just want to go through this one because it's a, uh, it blows my mind so much. It's it's so crazy that you know. So the thing is here again. You cannot disprove that lockdowns. Do not work. But the kind of evidence has being used in favor of lockdowns, such as this paper, have been disputed so many times. And you can just now maybe I, I don't know. Please tell me if, if I'm being too complicated or it's being too technical. But um, you can, I mean, it doesn't really, it lacks basic science. I mean, you're already putting your thesis embedded inside your mathematical model. So you want your mathematical model to reflect what is your prejudice. And it, and of course, then you will find what they are looking for because you know these mathematical models—they are functions that, in principle, can be anything. You can tune them in some ways, and then just pretend that they look like reality. Who tells you that the, you know this model is is correct? You need to fit to different data. So, and this brings me to the next point. Um, that is, uh, what happens then in absence of lockdowns? We have this, you know, we've seen this evidence, uh, sort of that is claiming that in absence of lockdowns, you would have this kind of millions of dead people and um, exponential non-stop uh, growth of the of the infection curve. Um, so let's see what happens. I mean, we've seen Japan. Let's see what happens in other places that didn't implement a lockdown. So I was talking before about... Uh, the fact that you should find some kind of similar places to make uh, to sort of a control sample and so it turns out that in the united states that have been widely criticized for so every sort of reason so you always um when you read about the us you usually you 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 read people telling that oh well they have a private uh, healthcare system it didn't work or they didn't want to shut down um there's all sorts of reason of um uh, explaining why the death toll in the U.S. is high. Um, First error that is behind all this whole reasoning is that the U.S. actually implemented all sorts of different policies. So you have different states with different lockdown restriction measures, with different restriction measures. So what I'm comparing here is Florida and California. It's the number of deaths, um, so it's smoothed, uh, smoothed the, over seven days uh so it's, it's seven day moving average to smooth that curve a little bit and this is comparing two states so it's florida is this blue line and california is the red line what happens here is that florida and california are two hot states they're on two different coasts so you cannot really compare it one to one agreed fair point great um, you'll never find a one-to-one match so granted let's see what can we learn from here Florida is, like, the third most popular state. It's 25, I don't know, it's 20-something million people. California is close to 40 million. So in terms of population size, they're close to the sea. You know, they have some factors in common. I'm not saying it's a perfect match, but can we learn something from this? Maybe yes. So what happens? California, since March, is going... um, It's basically full lockdown mode, like up and down, and sometimes they allowed for... uh, outdoor dining, then they forbade it. And it also depends on the counties. There are many uh, things that depends on the... on um, on what... Uh, you know, on what, um, what... What were I saying? So, uh, on the county. So, every county has some kind of different policies here. So, again, we are lumping all these counties together. Again, it's a complicated issue. Um, What's the bottom line? Again, I'm taking official data here. I'm comparing them, and people in California, you know, the death rate over the last, at least, this is starting. Uh, let me see what what date is this? From December on, the average number of deaths is larger. Okay, what happened? Florida is basically completely opened since twenty uh, fifth of um, September. So they opened around, uh, when was it? I don't see the numbers. Somewhere around here. Uh, anyway, somewhere around here, they, Florida opened, OK? And this is how the curve went after opening the whole state. California, on the other hand, has been closing most of the things. So they have much, much more severe restriction there. Um, I mean. What do we learn from this? <laughs> My point on this is, okay, maybe opening a place does not automatically mean you are going to kill everyone and the curve is not automatically going up. This is not the case for Florida. Again, this is effect. So let's just uh, stop uh, spreading the, the lie that, you know, if you open everything, then cases will go up. And by the way i mean florida has had like famously one month ago they had this uh, steel panther concert they had three shows with uh, thousands of people um so you could argue well it happened somewhere around here and then the curve went up because of that i don't know sure so why is florida going up is california going up i don't know i mean it's uh you can say well there's lots of people that are not complying but here like no one is co- i mean there's no you can look at videos and, and uh, pictures from miami and There's lots of people, there's lots of crowds. So, like, the amount of gathering, of movement, there's lots of people going to Florida for vacation. There's a lot of movement going in and out. Um, And there's absolutely, basically, no lockdown. Restaurants are working, you have concerts, you have theaters are open, cinemas are open. So, again, I'm not saying (laughs) we understood everything, now we should open everything and because, because of this, but... This is evidence that is extremely at odds with what we have been told so far. So can we at least consider this, try to understand the factors that make this thing work? Maybe it's just because of the temperature. Maybe, I don't know. So can we say that places that had this kind of uh, environment, like kind of temperature, like California, they can open and really don't care because the contagions will go up and down regardless? This is my take on this. I mean, uh, can we at least make this? try to make this point? Because the argument is always that we should shut down no matter what. It's the best option. Whereas I think this case is, is pretty clear. So let me uh, just comment on one thing. Uh, I have friends in both states. Floridians I talk with are way more worried than um, people in California. I think it's because of the way that this issue is being dealt with by the media. Like uh, they say that if you open, then, you know, things will go people will die and it will be a a catastrophe, right? People, will. it will be terrible. And so you know that you this feeling that I had also during the first wave uh, that, you know, things are closing, I'm safer, fine. Things are opening, I don't feel so safe. But is it actually, actually true? Like, do the number? So are these feelings grounded in numbers and data or are they grounded in what we see in the media? That is, again, they're pushing most of the times, in the in the on the news. They're pushing for most of the times for um, closures, and they're trying to make excuses for why the uh, lockdowns do not work, why do not, restrictions do not work, and when whenever something happens, uh, you bet that you know there are people that are claiming that this rises due to the fact that they, Florida opened, but then why is, it, is also California rising? So my my point is, I've seen so many times being uh, Sweden criticized because cases are rising. Well, but cases were rising also in Germany. So is it, can you really reduce the logic to that? Like uh, Sweden is open, cases are rising. Okay, opening a country is bad. When we see that cases very often rise also in places that are completely shut down, that's that's one of the main points. There's more evidence actually from the US. Uh, and this is North Dakota and South Dakota. So it's two different latitudes, in the sense i'm taking i'm not taking to hot states i think there are more north central america so it's different climate different uh kind of uh different kind of uh population of course they are uh sort of sparsely populated so anyway north dakota had some kind of restriction on um, occupancy for bars, restaurants they had restriction on mobility they had some you know lots of uh not so, they didn't have a proper lockdown, granted, but they had restrictions. South Dakota basically didn't restrict anything, right? Now you look at the data, you would argue that North Dakota should have, you know, like a better um, a better outcome, right? Because they restricted the occupancy of uh, restaurants. They're restricting a lot of things. But, you know, I would say that these two curves, these are, again, this is the deaths. These are not contagions, it's a number of dead people per million. Smoothed on a seven-day uh, moving average. If you look at the way these two curves match each other, can you really make a case for the fact that you know shutting down things in North Dakota has helped? Again, this is one case. It's, to generalize, then there's another step, and it's going to be boring. And I'm, I'm sorry, it's going to be long, but you can generalize and then look at other kind of evidence. But this is just to present something that is it's really easy to understand. You just see two plots of a place that didn't close, a place that closed. Right? You can still say, okay, but we still need a lockdown in Italy because these places are isolated. These places are, I don't know, uh, they're sparsely populated. Again, we can make a case for that. But let's, can we try to understand why is it that the curve is going down without doing anything? So can we stop, at, you know, if, if you say that every time you see the curve going down is because of the lockdown, then your theory is, is false. This is a country example. You can say okay sometimes the curve goes down thanks to the lockdowns sometimes it doesn't okay let's try to understand why it doesn't <laughs> you know what, what 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 are the other factors that are uh working here what, what what's the what's at stake here what's what's going on and uh again this is something that has been um it's outside of the debate and it's uh it's a pity it's 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 shit. It's mm-hmm. a, seriously it's a uh, there's a very biased way in which we are, are being presented the data, in which have, this political decision are being made. So, um, I wanted to discuss another graph uh, just to so you you see something uh, again. <laughs> I turned to the plot side now, and uh, this is uh, the number again, the number of deaths in the first wave, second wave, different European countries. I picked. Uh, bunch of countries sort of at random, just because you you can plot them all. But uh, the point here is that you see that, uh, in my opinion, you see there's a pattern. So there's something here, four months, basically nothing everywhere. It goes down. And then it starts pretty much at the same point, same time, different curves, different. I mean, pretty much everyone of these countries Im- implemented some kind of lockdown, except for Sweden. Um, but can you really say the effect? I mean, it's it's really hard to say, right? I mean, I would say there must be some kind of uh, seasonal pattern underlying here. There must be something related to the season. It's, it's, it cannot be like for four months, you had this completely fat curve and then this explosion all, all of a sudden, altogether. Yeah, it's really You really need to make the assumption that people in all these different countries uh, were stopped using uh, masks. Stopped, uh, you know, like doing um, social distancing. Stopped doing these whole things they were have been doing. So, you know, they were going to restaurants and doing a lot of stuff during the summer. And they, at some point, they were relaxing even those measures in uh, in uh, October, September, and uh, all at the same time. It's very. I mean, I don't know. I don't think you can really make a rational case for that. It's it's really hard to to say that the, all these things happened at the same time because. Um, and still, you know, fit the lockdown theory, that, like that the fact that all these things are caused by um, and suppressed by uh, lockdown. Now, again, you see here that, for example, you can look at this is Belgium. Um, they shut down well, somewhere around here. I mean, never mind the dates, but uh, they shut down and then it went down. So this is the kind of logic that is, it's at play here, right? So the curve goes up and then goes down. This is for deaths. And so they say that, you know, the, the narrative is that this curve can only go down if you um, if you lock down. But what happened to Sweden then here? I mean, they didn't lock down. The curve was going up and down more slowly. Maybe you can say, okay, if you don't lock down, um, you will eventually, um, you know, we'll have more debts related to the fact that you have a larger tail. Okay. Still doesn't mean that it will never, or I mean, it will get a huge peak in, in debts and, uh, you know, because of the um, because you didn't do a lockdown so to say the least we have to be um, more cautious about this this kind of of uh, of um, logic again when we say that uh, things go down just because at some point before that uh, people did something the government did something this is a very that doesn't fit with the data so it doesn't fit with the fact that Sweden is going down despite the fact that they didn't shut down everything means that things can things go down uh, shutting down everything yes they can under which condition is another question then maybe in some conditions they cannot granted okay let's find out what these conditions are do you see uh the debate being posed in these terms no <laughs> so this is uh disturbing anyway do i have more okay so this is sweden versus japan uh, i don't think it's interesting i already talked about that uh pretty much um I was talking about these papers uh okay so there's another it's yeah this is another interesting point um let me check uh they were talking also i, I forgot i i cannot find a reference but at, at some point they said um uh, they use this kind of logic which is very very funny and um, just to um maybe i jump jumped to too, too uh too long so i'm back here to the website where i was um Uh, covid uh, uh, frequently asked questions Um, and at some point they say that uh gdp um decline and uh you know um, and lockdowns are not a stake so what they're saying is that well you don't really decrease your gdp that much if you uh, where is it i I need to find it sorry if you um, even if you make lockdown in place. Okay. Okay, so this is the statement. This is very funny. Okay, lockdowns might lower the economic cost of COVID. Okay, it's not clear that growth, but this is an interesting statement. What they what they say here at the end of this point eight, they say that in general, countries that have contained the coronavirus have seen smaller falls in their GDP. Okay, so they are saying that containing the coronavirus is equal to making a lockdown. This is their assumption because they say here they are countering the, the you know, lockdown cause more deaths than they prevent, cause more damage than they prevent. So their assumption here is that if you contain the coronavirus better, it means that you must have done some kind of lockdowns because they are defending the this assumption, here, this uh, statement about lockdowns, okay? And uh, countries that have contained the coronavirus have seen smaller falls in their GDP. Let's go to this link. It's this one. Economic decline uh, in the second quarter of 2020 versus rate of confirmed deaths to the coronavirus. So we do not see among countries with available GDP data, this is another, this is our world in data. This is an analysis they are doing of this data. So the claim here is that, oh, um, if you lock down, you don't necessarily um, damage the economy. How do we prove this? Well, you know that we see places that have, um, defend like they have protected the lives of their uh, citizens better. Uh, they have a smaller GDP growth, and this assumption this, here you're assuming that having a better, having a lower death rate means to protecting your citizens better. So, meaning do, mean, means doing something actively, um, and at the same time, this doing something actively is related to the lockdowns. Okay, so this is the kind of reasoning that is behind this sentence. They say that. <laughs> Countries, so among countries with available GDP data, we do not see evidence of a trade off between protecting people's health and protecting the economy. We do not see an evidence of trade off between. So they say that if a country has lower debts, it's because you have this government has protected their lives better. Okay. Implement, and this is again, this is this comes from this website that's claiming that lockdowns. To not do harm to the economy, not as much as we claim, like as skeptics claim. So, what's the, what's the, what's this uh, graph uh, plotting here? It's saying that this is the GDP growth on the x-axis, y-axis is confirms confirmed death per millions. Okay, how many uh, dead people per million had all these countries? And this is a very simple correlation plot. And what they're plotting here, you see this well. The, if you reduce your your gdp the most it's not does not necessarily mean that you might end up with a very high death rate okay so this is it's in fact it's the opposite if you reduce the gdp less you also have a smaller death rate this is the kind of correlation that you see at large here and they say that this is related to government um protection of, of their lives, of the of the citizen. So what do we see here? This is Taiwan, South Korea. So South Korea and Taiwan made exactly no lockdown. They might have done some efficient tracing at the, at first. Taiwan is basically doing no tests whatsoever, no lockdown, nothing. It's like there's no intervention. So saying they protected the people's health. It's nothing to do with lockdowns at this point. Japan, same thing. It's like, okay, minus 10% is still, you know, it's not among the, the, the ones that have... Been growing. Sorry, I've been shrinking the most. Their growth, Uh, so it's a completely flawed case. I mean, in this case, in in this graph, they are using this graph with countries that had had no lockdown to prove the point that the lockdowns uh, do not imply a trade off between uh, GDP and uh, million people. They say, actually, to be honest, they say protecting people's health. Uh, But this does not imply lockdown at this point because you know, this, all these places with no lockdown, they did fine. So it doesn't mean that protecting people's health, you should consider a listed point, that <laughs> protecting people's health doesn't mean um, locking down the whole population, right? I, I think this is, you cannot have both things at the same time. But the the, the kind of reasoning that is behind this, so the banking site, which is crazy again, the, I, I'll stop talking about this website. I, I cannot do it for, I could do it for more time, but I, I'll stop here. It's based on this kind of flawed reasoning. It's it's crazy. It's, it's completely crazy. It's mind-buffing. Anyway, um, this is the paper I was talking before. I don't think it's use- useful at this point. Uh, let me just shut down a few windows here and let me focus on what's left to discuss. So I was talking about uh, reproduction number before, if you remember. So this is the number that has been used by many uh, countries to estimate how serious the pandemic is? How serious the pandemic is? And um, as I said, like uh, it's a very important measure you can make. Sort of, again, it's not a direct measure, but it's based on the number of infections. It's the, the what's the problem here? Is that the numbers of infected that you measure on each day? It's not a perfect estimate. Of course, there will be people that are infected, uh, and you count them as infected on day I don't know X. But they, infected, they got infected two, three, four days before, and they didn't know. So, it, you know, you have this kind of uncertainties there. Then you have, of course, also delays due to bureaucracy, uh, when it's the hospital reporting that to the ministry. So you have all sorts of um, uncertainties of this number that might happen, right? But you, you cannot really say that for sure. You have some idea, and so... but. How to estimate this from the numbers, but you still need to propagate for a lot of error. So usually you just don't make a line; you make several for, for you know for estimating R of T uh, from the data. So the reproduction number, and this reproduction number again, if it's below one, it means that um, the um, on the next day, like on the next generation, there will be less infected than the day before, and so it means that the uh, pandemic is uh, is sort of fading. So it's going. It's slowing down, and this is a good thing. So, the whole point here is that we need to—I um, mean, not the whole point—but one of the main points has been stressed uh, is uh, looking at this um, R of t. So, how how is it varying? How is it? Can we make some kind of uh, correlation between R of t and the lockdowns? And so, this is what uh, some papers have been have been doing. Um, let me just show. You. So, this is uh, another one that was. This is in Science it's another one which I find really crazy so inferring the effectiveness of government interventions against COVID-19 let me simplify Uh, I shouldn't do that but let me just simplify what what's the bottom line here the bottom line here is that they are looking at lockdowns so at R how is it going down so it's going down you see so this is sort of an uh, experimental estimate from the data and they say at this point they take data from a bunch of countries and they say at this point uh, on average this r of t went down by this amount because these countries did this um, so you see here you see all different kinds of intervention that every every point here is an intervention that has been uh, made by a government or a number of governments and these are the kinds of intervention that they're accounting for and Bottom line. I mean, the idea here is that they are plotting, or they are stacking all the different uh, R of Ts that they can extrapolate from the observational data. Let's call them that way for infections, and uh, they are trying to uh, correlate. Again, correlation does not imply causation, but this is what they claim: that every kind, of, every intervention uh, has an effect, has an impact on the on reducing R of T. So this R of T is going down no matter what. Right? And every time it goes down, it's because of some of these these interventions, or maybe a combination of those. And this allows us to estimate um, how much these interventions uh, had an impact on the R of T. Again, this is something crazy, I find, because, again, you're assuming that the whole, like, the R of T has no intrinsic dynamic related to other factors. You are just correlating this. To one single variable which is what is the government doing so is the government shutting down schools is the government shutting down um theaters uh and then every time something like this happens you say oh look and this day this government did this and this is correlated related to a descent- decrease in the r of t what's the problem here is that uh r of t indeed has some intrinsic dynamics so the reproduction number in many cases is going down by itself and you can show this i mean um, this is okay. So this is the reproduction number, and it's shown for four different countries. Let me okay. Let me just cite this paper here: full lockdown policies in Western Europe. Uh, again, this is a scientific paper. It's it's a preprint here, granted, but uh, you know, this people, the sign, there's a scientist working on this. It's can we have a look at this? Can we trust this? I don't know. It's not peer reviewed. This one was, and I think that the, the there's a comp- there's a huge logic flow be, behind it. But anyway, so this is again to stress the fact that uh, you cannot just, you know, take uh, this kind of correlation. You cannot say the curve is going down. I did this on uh, at this point, and then the curve go- is going down because of this, because it's correlated. And then I'm saying, look, uh, these interventions had this much of an effect. It's uh, it's 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 not scientific. It's 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 all of this. Uh, sorry. Correlation implies causation. Policy. So. Let me go back to this plot. What is this plot showing here? The, uh, Wait, it's this one. What, what happened? Fuck. Okay. All right. So what we have here is the reproduction number. You see this one for France, Italy, Spain, uh, Great Britain. What is this showing? these are different ways of estimating with different, let me, I mean, okay, let me skip this, but you, as I told you, there's, uh, there are uncertainties in the way you can um, compute this reproduction number and so that you have to use different approaches and every different approach will end up with a different uh, estimation of this number. Let's take just the main point out of this paper. Uh, this is that the main point here is that you can look at these different countries, so France, Italy, Spain, Great Britain, and each one of those has a reproduction number which is going down already before the lockdown. So the yellow line here, you see the vertical line, is the lockdown date. So you are taking how many days before the lockdown and after the lockdown. And this is for, you know, they are doing this for many countries, that, you know, they doing, let's focus on these four with different methods. So they have four different estimates of this reproduction number, and they're looking at the date. So you see here, this is the day that the lockdown was enacted. And so this was going down already before. Can you say it's going down quicker? Maybe, I don't know. So the bottom line is that uh, I'm using this paper for is that, um, first of all, you have a lot of uncertainty here. And second of all, you see that the dynamics is the same. So this is not really changing the dynamics of the R of T. I mean, it was going down before, it's going down later. Okay, maybe it's going down faster. I don't know. Can we say that? You can make a case for that, it's helping. You cannot really say for sure that every kind of uh, uh, decrease in the R of T, so in the reproduction number, um, is due to a, a restrictive measure. You have no measure at all here. Nothing, I mean, the government is not doing anything. Maybe people are starting, you know, when you heard that there was this coronavirus, people, granted, people were moving less, so there were changes in behavior. People were not going to uh, restaurants. Maybe they were going less. There are things that might happen, but you know, there's a, a huge—I mean, there's a huge difference between saying uh, some people don't go to the restaurant, some people move less, some people stay home—and you know, mandating, uh, enforcing a lockdown on a national scale. There's, Here it it was, it was two completely different countries. I mean, we can surely say that some things in the behavior of people changed. In fact, they did change, but not nearly as much as in like imposing a lockdown. And the bottom line here is that the reproduction number in these estimates was going down before the lockdowns. So, how can we say that is the lockdown that is causing this reduction in the reproduction number? This is a, a similar uh, paper, it's another It's another thing. And, you know, if you look at Spain here, you have different estimates. Again, it's going down before uh, closure, like lockdowns and any kind of intervention. Maybe this helped bring it faster, maybe, I don't know. I mean, it might be, I'm not saying it doesn't, but can we just uh, make clear that this kind of inf- inference, that this kind of uh, approach has been used so much is wrong? So I think as... This has taken a uh, very long time and I wanted to present something more, but uh, I'll just, so this is another paper, I mean, again, it's just to prove the point that the science uh, question is not settled, there's a lot of uh, debate and we are still acting like lockdowns are the only, uh, you know, the only thing, and there, are, there's a lot of evidence that goes in the other direction, and again, um, let me just comment on this one, it's a... Um, matter of vulnerability among nations facing limit limited margins of adaptation so what is going on in this paper uh they are saying they're doing an analysis it's a multi-factor analysis it's, um, it's called principal component analysis and a correlation matrix with person correlation test so this is a very technical thing but in bottom line what, what's going on here they are taking uh, all the variables as I said this is a complex problem you have several variables within um, that enter this problem. So you cannot just take uh, government restriction. You need to take, I don't know, um, obesity rates. Uh, it, you know, it affects the number of people that die. Uh, median age, if you have more people, then you will end up with more dead people. There's all these sorts of factors that uh, end up affecting the final uh, number of um, people that died. So the, the, the mortality rates. Okay, so... What they do here, they do a principal component analysis, which is a technique that allows you to rank order the variables in terms of their effectiveness. So again, the thing here, I'm having a problem that depends on 10 variables, say 20. I want to know which one affects most the outcome. So I have 10 variables, 10 numbers that enter in and one that goes out. And I want to know the number that goes out, in this case, the number of dead people, to which one of these inputs is mostly is mostly correlated. This does not even show that you can make a theory of this causes this. I'm just looking at correlation here, OK? But if you want to show that x causes y, you at least you need to have correlation. They need to be correlated. If I want to show that this is causing this, if I move this, this has to move in the same direction or the opposite, depending on the, on the theory. But this needs to be correlated, OK? What are the results of this kind of analysis? Again, so what they do here, they take indices from five domains. So demography, public health indices, economy, politics, environment, which means they have numbers that are proxies for how much did the uh, government shut down? Um, How much is the government investing in health? All these kind of things. They are proxies. They are not, which means it's not a perfect comparison. You cannot really measure the strictness of a lockdown um, on a perfect basis, okay? You, you have numbers that sort of represent what is going on there. You can have numbers that are correlated to that. But again, all these inputs, all these, even the outputs, I mean, even the the, the same number of dead people per day, it's, it's a very uh, imperfect number. All these numbers are imperfect. So we are trying to make sense, assuming that they are um, that you have errors, but they're not completely flowed. You know, you have some margin of errors, and they want to make sense out of it. So this is both in the input and the output. So what are the results? So this, again, these are what, what these people are doing. Um, they are trying to see whether, besides from the strictness of the lockdowns, of the policies that countries implemented, there are other variables that are mostly correlated with the number of deaths, OK? And these are the results. So higher COVID death rates are observed in a 25, 65 degrees latitude and the minus 35, minus uh, 125 longitude ranges. Okay, so first of all, they find these are correlated. Again, it doesn't mean it's coast. It's correlated with this longitude range. So if your country is within these uh, longitudes, then you have more chances of having a, a higher death rate. So the national criteria most associated with death rates are life expectancy and it's slowdown. Public health context, economy, environment. Okay, temperature ultraviolet index. Stringency of the measures settled to fight pandemia, including lockdown, did not appear to be linked with death rate. Okay, so they are looking at all these factors and they see what is going on here um i have some number that represents the stringency of the measures settled to fight pandemia and there's i mean there's many papers that use this uh, stringency index to to do analysis you can do this with mobility i'll spare you i mean if you want uh, and if i feel like I'll, i can do another episode on on, uh, on the subject using this other data but this is the um this is one of the things so stringency of the measures settled to fight pandemia it's, the, uh, it's a number that is sort of representing how much. So let's say Sweden was 50, and then, I don't know, on this scale, um, Italy was 70, something like that. So it's a number that... And this number is not correlated at all with death rates. Again, we can go deeper into this, but uh, I don't think I'm doing this at this time. I think we need to uh, wrap up slowly and just to... Uh, Make my final point, uh, my final statements, so I can uh, sort of close this very long episode. Thanks for being with me for these two hours. Um, let me close. So let me read uh, the um, some of the questions. So here, wait. Data is also bad. Do you think that poor countries have real numbers? Also, China was in a bubble. How is that possible? No, sure. I mean, I don't. I don't trust. I don't trust data from China. Um, i don't think you can really rely on data for poor countries yeah that's why i was focusing here most of the times on uh, rich countries Uh, like i know that uh, at least in europe and in the us there are some standards that are more or less similar i know there is some dialogue they are trying to make things uh, it's not perfect i mean of course you will have like some countries counting more deaths than the others there's a lot of things that might not converge but for sure i i would say that the numbers that i record in italy and Spain and France are more like reliable between each other, more comparable between each other than those uh, with I don't know Egypt or Sudan, whatever. Uh, China. So, if anything, so again, I didn't talk about mobility. There's another interesting topic there. That's uh because the, so one of the uh, typical counter argument that people make to this point is that well. You see, stringency is not correlated with lockdowns, but if a certain government implemented some politics, then it doesn't mean that people were following that. And it's fine. I mean, I agree with that point. But you can look at mobility data. So you can take, and this is a kind of analysis that I did, and uh, you can take uh, uh, data from Google. You can look at how people moved, how much they moved, uh, more or less with respect to the previous years, and you see that there's a decrease. So, you see that most countries, I mean, in many countries, had a very sharp decrease in mobility. Um, And you can track it with Google. Now, you would say Google is not perfect, but Android is like 80, 90% share of the market in most of the places. And most of the places, most of the people, they do have Android phones, even if, you know, like, even if uh, the, um, you know, even in poor places that do have smartphones, even, you know, Central America that is, maybe, say, 70 80% coverage. Not everywhere, but that's the numbers, for example, for Panama. Um, So it's a good proxy, it's a good uh, measure to... It's a good number to estimate how much people really decreased. They really complied in in the sense that they were moving less. So if they're moving less, they're going less out, you can say they comply more with the order of stay at home, right? And so you see that also, that that data, when you look at it closely uh, from Google, you don't really find many much correlation with the reduced death rates and uh, and contagion so uh, I don't have time to discuss it now but keep it in mind and maybe uh, I can do it next time so I think I think um I can wrap up and talk about something that was uh, an issue that was presented before um why are politicians keeping to do this if it's uh, counterproductive um is there some conspiracy going on I don't think there's a conspiracy i think there's uh mostly it's you know people make bad choices like people politicians have made make bad choices all the time and people believe them all the time it's not something new in history there were many bad choices made on a large scale for many years so it's not surprising uh and again like the politicians incentive are several so uh, first thing is that if people die then they are being blamed for deaths if jobs are being lost because they opened and so you have this sort of trade off of course like you shut down people you shut down businesses people go bankrupt and they become jobless um so you can either be blamed for deaths or for the economy and like being blamed for deaths is much uh, worse than being blamed for the economy right and again because for the um, <laughs> for for, for that, you you can always say, if, even if they're increasing, you can always say, well, but, you know, people were not complying. I did my best with the, the rules. Then there's another thing that, you know, like we tend to overlook uh, how politicians think. But, uh, you know, politicians are by construction, <laughs> I would say, a class of people that want, um, they sort of want to teach people how to, they want, they, you know, if, you want to, if you're a politician, I'm not meaning this in a bad way. But. You think that you know, so you, you you know you should change something. You can impose it to the others, and so there's some paternalism in the sense you want to make rules, right? I mean, you want to make laws, you want to change the behavior of people, you want to change the way society works in a way. That's that's why you want you become a politician in the first place. So you have some kind of uh, and this 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 both in the right and in the left wing, right? Because the very often conservative politicians they say, oh, I don't want uh, these novelties to come. I don't want you know gay. Um, People to marry, and so there's, it's always about imposing some view, and same same thing you could say about the left. Sometimes it's it's very it's very similar. So you always want to impose something There's some paternalistic view, right, um, on both sides. And I would say it's it's because by construction, it's, it's you know you go into politics because you want to tell people what to do and not to do. So you have a natural uh, inclination in doing this, and and this you know this pandemics is the perfect thing. Like if you want to tell people how to live and what to do. That's uh, you know, I'm not saying that they want, you know, they do this on purpose, but you know, you are more inclined. There's people that are at the government, they are they went there because they are more inclined to they have this uh need to tell people where um they they, they really have this uh, this fear that this need to tell people what um what they are what they should think and what they should do. So again. Um of course, there's another thing. Uh, first, first time, like the first wave, um, pretty much everyone was in favor of lockdowns. Like everyone was looking at it as the only solution, right? And that was everyone. Um, not everyone, but you know, by and large, it was. Uh, there was a lot of agreement, and it was very shared. I mean, as I said, also I was in favor of it, so I'm not denying it. So what ha- what will happen in, in if you don't do the same thing on the second lockdown or like on the second wave and you seriously relax the measures, um, then you're contradicting yourself. And this is something that politicians rather, never really admit they're at fault. Um, Angela Merkel did that and said, well, I didn't do enough. So, But she was not contradicting herself. She was blaming herself for not doing, like for not being harder. So she was not like saying, <laughs> again, she was not saying lockdowns are bad. Like, no, I didn't do enough of it. And I mean, despite that, then if you look at Germany, They've been into a very uh, sort of very uh, serious lockdown since uh, 16 of Decem- December. The curve didn't go down right after; it, it stayed flat for contagions and it went up for uh, for deaths. So, on a side note, so ju- just to tell you, <laughs> uh, again I digress. But um, the point is that politicians do not really like to contradict themselves. So even if now we have, I would say we have enough evidence that we can do pretty much well without lockdowns. So we can use other approaches, and we should, anyways, we should discuss that. In a more open way and just don't think that if we open up some activities things will you know inevitably be destroyed there's you know counter examples of places that opens and they are not going they are not you know people are not dying by the thousands uh per per second so i would be confident that we should do we should have this discussion we are not having it and um the other thing is that uh, again there's this uh Good scientists, they always are featured on television, and they support this kind of policies. And we are overlooking all these others. I mean, I, I again, there's lots of paper, lots of lots of things behind. I don't have time to go through all of it, but uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, people that are not in agreement with this approach. So um, we should also like give voice to them. And it's not like one percent, three percent. It's there's lots of uh, people in academia, and you know they just don't get featured that often on, uh, on TV and on, uh, you know, major news outlets. So I think that's a, that's a, that's another problem. We always see one side of the argument and we cannot really say that the argument is closed after, you know, it's a, it's a new issue. It's a new pandemic. It's new, everything. And we're just saying, Oh, these guys are right. The, um, the, uh, science is settled. We know everything Bye. Uh, no, the <laughs> science is not settled. There's a lot of, uh, evidence. Again, we, At least we need to discuss this data. Then you can prove me I'm wrong. Fine. I'm I'm fine. Okay. Um, If you can explain me why these places went down without lockdowns, without making too, you know, like very complicated models of how things work, then I'm fine with that. Okay. Then I accept that we cannot do like uh, other places did. Great. But we, we, this whole thing started as, uh, as, 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 you know, because China did that and then we do this. So now we, we are claiming that we cannot compare ourselves to, I don't know, to Sweden, we cannot compare to Florida. We cannot compare to Japan. We cannot compare to North Dakota, to Taiwan, to whatever. But yes, we can compare to China. Okay, I don't see the logic behind this. We China did this. We should do the same because it worked. Okay, the other places did, didn't do that and it worked. Uh, anyway, <laughs> last last thing and uh, that I um, really care and that's the most important reason why I was doing this whole thing. It's uh. Uh, this whole discussion is that uh, I think that we musicians now I'm talking this are my personal consideration just to to wrap up that we have been really hit the hardest so music and all people that work in the business of music they have been really hit hard big time it was such a blow like festivals and festivals have been cancelled already for this year as well and it I mean does it really make sense can we have a discussion on reopening like on uh, can we, like, be part of the picture? Because any anytime there's political decisions, like, uh, there's the impression that whatever artists do, so I'm, I'm not talking just about musicians, but there's a lot of other people that work in theaters, cinemas, they're not working. Many of them, they're not covered by any kind of aid. And I know because I know them, these people personally, and they don't get a single cent from the state. And we are pretending that they can just keep it that way. And we just don't, you know, we close like we discuss about closing stuff oh we close a cinema we close a restaurant we close like this like nothing happens no this is a serious thing closing stuff is a serious thing preventing people from work is a serious thing we all started this uh you know this whole thing with the pandemic started like it's gonna last two weeks then one month two months okay eventually we got into summer and now we're back to square one here at the same point, and we're not discussing about the issues that people have, because many people accepted this situation, thinking it's temporary. Um, at this point, we cannot really assume that uh, this situation is, is, is temporary. We we really need to, to have a discussion about opening and getting, again, this is on a personal note, I'm not talking about science, but I, I think it's very important that we involve musicians. And the feeling I have is that many musicians didn't want to take any sides on this didn't want to um, say, you know, reopen because I'm starving, because they don't want to, you know, feel, feel like the bad guys in the story. And um, I think it's because we lack, um, many times there's not enough scientific background to make a rational case for reopening, for uh, lifting restrictions, for leaving, you know, for trying to at least to find a compromise. And it was something I was done in the summer. So, it's something that really needs to be discussed now for uh, as much as I can do no, I didn't do much it's you know it's just a live stream with a bunch of people but I really hope that uh you know like other musicians sort of uh, try to discuss these issues and try to ask for reopening and, and you know like not just ignore them because uh, first of all the scientific part of this whole lockdown thing is not settled at all and as I I showed some of the results we can go for longer discussions if anyone wants and um and there's a human cost to that and there's a human cost for for people that work in the business as, as we'll see i mean we will see what's going to happen but we are we are facing you know the perspective of being shut down for the next year as well so it's not fun it's it's not free it's not like uh like oh well we just do this and then things will you know recover it, it doesn't work that way and so I really felt I needed to give my two cents of thought. So, so thanks a lot. And um, okay, let me just reply to this last comment. <laughs> yeah, you think we are in the first? So the comment says, you think we are in the first world and here people won't die of hunger. That's what many believe. Okay, again, uh, people don't die of hunger here. Great. I mean. But can you get depression? Can you get, you know, you can like sort of you lose the meaning of your life or people are preventing from things that you love to do um, for one year, two years? We don't know. And, uh, you know, people, there are some people that are actually struggling. There are people that are now are, have been thrown out of their homes and they don't, because they couldn't pay the rent for six months. And so now it's cold outside. And I mean, I don't know, there are homeless people that this thing has created homeless people being homeless in in the winter is no fun. People are going to die for this. And I'm not even talking about all the other side effects. I'm just, you know, talking about the side effects on my specific industry. Not but you know, there's there's a uh, digression. So we can say well you don't die of hunger, but can you survive like in jail for 2 years? Is it is it worth it? I mean, I don't know. These are these are questions that you you never you know you never see asked especially by musicians. Again, because I think musicians don't want to be like the look like selfish and say you. I want to reopen because I'm a musician and uh, and so that's why I want. No, I mean, I'm like me on a personal level. I'm doing fine. I have another job, so I got a salary. I'm completely fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that. It's uh, you can make that the, the, the primary reason here is scientific. So it's not clear the lockdowns work. It's not clear what their price is. It's not clear how effective they are and i've i mean i've I've discussed a few of these uh this data i grant you i I mean i I spent two hours and actually presented like half of the things i wanted to discuss so just (laughs) keep that in mind but um yeah that's the point so first of all it's a scientific thing and then there's a a human side to that that we shouldn't forget because of course the human side then you can say i don't want people to die well you know people mostly would die anyways Mm -hmm. That's a, it's a sad fact of life. I mean, it's, it's a new disease and we, we don't have as much control on this as we pretend we are. Anyway, so thanks a lot for following me. They are, uh, they are suggesting it uh, that um, next time I speak about cosmology, let's see what the next episode is going to be about. I might, I, I, will, I would like to do this on a weekly basis. Um, let's see what comes out. And uh for the moment, thanks for being with me for the first live episode of the Gattocast. I hope I wasn't too boring and see you next time for a new episode of the Gattocast. See you in the future, who knows when.